What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? Today on Sports 360, we will chat with yet another rising star in the sports industry, Ben Levine. Ben is a 2011 graduate of New York Law School, and this past summer, he was named a partner in the law firm of Gordon and Rees. Ben's rise to partnership should come as no surprise, as he has successfully worked on a number of high-profile sports law cases in recent years, in addition to his high-stakes corporate work. Ben drops by to share his insights and experiences in sports and to offer encouragement to those who are looking to enter into or advance in the sports industry. Stay with us, and we'll be right back with Ben Levine on Sports 360. I'm pleased to have with me today on Sports 360, Ben Levine. Uh, ben is a partner in the law firm of Gordon and Rees. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm 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 glad to have you um, with us today, and um, and I look forward to a, a a really good conversation with you, Ben, about about your practice, which includes law and, and and other areas of law, um, and also it's just good to catch up with you. Um, because full disclosure, right? We have we have appeared on the opposite side of the table a couple of times, and um, you know I've always enjoyed the interaction with you, and it's nice now to to um, have a a more friendly chat, right? Uh, without any kind of dispute between us. So I'm glad to have you on the show today. Likewise, and they say keep your enemies close, but uh, in full disclosure, I consider you a really good friend and a fantastic lawyer and adversary when we've had the opportunity to go against each other. So I look forward to this as well. Yeah. And, and Ben, I'd like to start first by um, offering my congratulations to you because you recently made partner at your law firm, right? That was a, I, I guess a couple of months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yep. I made partners announced August 1st uh, this summer. Yeah. And look, and, and, and for me, you know, I, I never practiced, Ben. I never practiced in a large law firm. In fact, I never practiced in a law firm. Um, you know, I started at in, at the labor board and then went to the AFL-CIO before going to the Players Association. So I, I don't really know the ins and outs of practice personally at a law firm, but um, just hearing about it, I know it's a challenge. And so congratulations to you on making um, and, and making partners. So I was glad to see that and glad to hear about it. How's, how's that working out for you so far? It's been great. Uh, you know, it's a bit of an, it's a bit of an adjustment. Um, it's more, you know, managing quite a bit of cases and, you know, keeping my caseload flowing, delegating work to, I want, I don't even want to say people that, uh, our associates in our office, you know, my partners and, um, even the younger guys here that work on these cases, you know, we're sort of all a team. There's no working for anybody. We work at, you know, pretty collaboratively. So while the title has changed, um, you know, there's a, I work primarily with uh, a guy here, Jeff Cammy, who I don't consider him the associate on these cases. I consider him sort of a partner as well. So, you know, it's just a bit of an adjustment with the title, but other than that, things are still running as normal. 
Okay. And, and I want to jump into as well, uh, more specifically about some of the work that you do, because, you know, you have what for me has been very interesting to follow, and that is your work in, in, in the sports world. You also do some work on the corporate side, but uh, you do some interesting work and have done some interesting work in the, the sports practice. Um, why don't you tell us, how, how did you, how did you get your start in, in, in the sports, in the sports area of law? Sure. So it's sort of an interesting story how I ended up in this world, which is, you know, something that I've wanted to do probably as long as I can remember when I realized I probably wouldn't be the shortstop of the uh, Yankees. I had to figure out a different path if I wanted to work in sports. And I was always <laughs> right. sort of, you know, I was always sort of infatuated with the business side. My favorite movie growing up was Jerry Maguire. Um, yeah, I probably thought I was going to be an agent when I grew up. And I went to law school always with the, you know, mindset that I was going to somehow figure out a way into sports. Then, you know, reality hit when I graduated in 2011. We had a bit of a recession at the time. It was really difficult for recently graduated law students to find jobs. And fortunately for me, I applied to work at Gordon and Reese. And what I applied to, <clears throat> what I applied for was a, an associate position to do employment law and commercial litigation. Fortunately, and I'm unsure why I had my interview with my current boss now, Mercedes Colon, who's probably one of the top litigators in the country in the employment field. And she hired me to work under her and work in the employment realm. Uh, luckily for me, the day I was hired, one of your uh, close friends, David Cornwell, was also hired at a much higher level um, as a partner out of our Atlanta office. You know, David, for the audience who don't know him, which I'm sure many do, is, you know, widely regarded as one of the top sports attorneys in the country, especially at right. that time back in 2011, 2012. Um, I sent him a note the same day we started and just said, hey, you know, if you ever have a case that you'd like to work on, I'm based in New York and I'd love the opportunity to work work with you. Fast forward a year later, um, I'm slugging away working, you know, 20 hours a day uh, as a first-year associate working on commercial and employment cases, really learning the ins and outs of litigation. And I get an email from David that just says, hey, uh, I might have a matter for us to work on. Can you, can you get covered? Can, are you, can you ask uh, Mercedes if you could work on the case? So I go and ask her. I'm all excited. I'm figuring that, you know, this might be a double uh, A team in Brooklyn that, you know, somebody slipped on a hot dog and he just needs some help. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile, so next thing I know, I tell David that I could work with him and I get a, phone invitation, a conference call invitation the next day, and just the subject says, call with Alex Rodriguez. Hmm. So this was in the midst of the biogenesis uh, investigation at the MLB, with MLB, so I figured that's what it was. The next day, I, you know, I spoke with David at length for the first time, and we got on a call. We discussed strategy. We were, in fact, retained by Alex to uh, represent him in the biogenesis litigation. And from then on, David and me sort of hit it off and – uh, you know, it sort of morphed into just doing a bunch of different cases. We did the Alex Rodriguez case, probably took up most of my time for six months. And from there on, at some point, I just uh, shifted from, you know, doing 100% corporate and employment work to, you know, 
50% of my time working primarily with David. So we sort of became quite the odd couple, the two of us. Right. And, and you're absolutely right, Ben, when you talk about um, David, you know, being one of the top sports lawyers out there. I, I know that, you know, I, I, I had at the time, you know, when I was at the PA and since I've left and continue to have a great deal of respect for him and the work that he has done in the sports world. So, but it's really fascinating to hear you talk about how, you know, it was you reaching out, right, to express an interest in 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 working in sports and then, you know, David following up and you being ready for it, even though I doubt that you really were ready for, you know, a conversation the next day with one of the biggest stars at the time in Major League Baseball. How, when you, when you received that email or that information that, you know, okay, this is who we're going to be talking to the next day, what kinds of things went through your mind? Uh, probably don't screw it up. Uh, <laughs> you know, and also just to like backtrack real quickly, you know, David was one of the, guys that I really admired even prior to joining Gordon and Reese, along with, you know, yourself, Jay Reisinger, who's someone that we've worked with quite a bit. I mean, you guys were the people that I wanted to emulate my career after, people that had broken in and were, you know, some of the top, if not the top, lawyers in this field. So, you know, I was always trying to figure out a way that I'd be able to work for someone like a David Cornwell. And then just miraculously, the day I started, David joined. But yeah, to circle back to that, you know, David is um, an incredibly passionate guy, and, you know, it really resonates when you talk to him, even at that first phone call I had, how much he cares about his clients and how, you know, he's incredibly demanding, but the reason he's so demanding is that this is a incredible responsibility to represent someone like an Alex Rodriguez, because while the whole outside world might look at it as this is a super wealthy, famous uh athlete, what could be going wrong for him? You know, in reality, I mean, he's going against Major League Baseball, who has unlimited resources. The whole world is pointing fingers at him, calling him, you know, a cheat. Uh, stories are every day in the papers saying how he did this, he did that. And right away from that outset, you really, um, when I talked to him, and you, when you felt what he was going through, it very quickly it shifted from, wow, this is amazing. I have Alex Rodriguez sending me emails to, holy crap, this is the fight of his life. And he's, I'm one of the few people that he's relying on. So I'm going to give it my all and, you know, make sure I don't really let David down and, you know, let Alex down. So it was more of a, it sort of shifted really quick from, wow, I'm so blessed. I can't believe I'm working on this, that, wow, we have a big job to do. And you, and you know, Ben, I really appreciate what you're saying there because, you know, yes, there are celebrities in this area in the sports world and entertainment world and, and, and in other industries as well. But, you know, when you are working for them and we're working for them or servicing them, you know, they're human beings who have an issue and we're there to, to help. And so there's that human element. And it sounds like at some point, right, that kicked in and you realized that, you have someone who is is a human being who needs your help and you have a job to do, right? And it's a well-known individual, but 
you know, you still just simply have a job to do to help someone who needs your your help, your advocacy, your legal skills, right? And and when that kicks in, it it sort of just brings what you're doing to another level. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Oh, absolutely. And quite frankly, when you're going through that and you're representing some of these athletes, you really the whole cliche that you know, athletes uh, they bleed just like us, and there's a heartbeat to these cases and they're going through something that's very terrible and they're not immortal. You know, we build athletes up, but they're just like you and me and they're going through one of the worst uh, episodes of their entire life and they're relying on you. And look, we all make mistakes and we all have bad, uh, we all, we all have bad times, but our worst times aren't magnified in the press every day. So you know, it's sort of, it's a double-edged sword. It's, he has a, there's a lot of great things about being famous, but there's a lot of negatives. And when you go through something like, you know, Alex did during the biogenesis case and a lot of the clients that you and my, you and me represent, um, it, it's incredibly difficult for them to wake up and they have families just like you and me and they have to, their kids and their wives and their girlfriends, they have to read things about them that quite frankly, half the time aren't true, but the amount of vitriol and, uh, pain they have to go through going through these terrible episodes in their life in the public sphere is just really ups the ante for you and myself when we're in the advocacy role to make sure that we're fighting for them every step of the way because it does feel like the whole world is against them uh, when they go through something like this. Right, right. Now, when you first got your foot in the door, so to speak, in the sports world, what what were you, a second-year associate now, a third-year associate? How how long had you been at the firm? Somewhere in between first and second here. Because actually when I um, started out at Gordon-Reese, I actually started as a paralegal because I had yet to be admitted to the bar. Mm-hmm. So, And then Hurricane Sandy hit. So around, I'm not even sure of the timeline here, but uh, somewhere in between a first and a second year associate, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, so that's I was still pretty... Baby that, that... I mean, put it this way, I don't know what happened first <laughs> when, I, uh, when I met David or when I figured out where the bathroom was. Right, right. And so how long did you end up working with David? And I would imagine, you know, to the extent that you did, that you probably found yourself working on other high profile cases as well, because, I mean, that's what David was doing, you know, um, you know, during this stretch of his career. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was when David and myself, we met each other during the, um, a-Rod case, and just it became really clear quickly that we were a match that was going to fit. Um, you know, it, it honestly, it crystallized the practice of law for me because it's not a profession where you become so uh, accomplished and you get to just sort of sit back and collect checks. David was in the, David and myself, we would be up 20 hours a day going back and forth, strategizing on cases. We would travel for different cases, and it was crazy. I don't think we slept. Um grinding out, trying to make sure that we had the best case going forward. And right away, David and myself, we just sort of fit. And from the A-Rod case, what happened was I was based in New York and David was based in Atlanta. And from sheer luck or for whatever reason, we kept getting cases that brought us here. So from the A-Rod, we had the Jonathan Martin, the Jonathan Martin Miami Dolphins uh, workplace bullying matter that was investigated by mm-hmm. Ted Wells at Paul Weiss in New York. So we were retained by Jonathan to represent his interest in that investigation. And again, all those meetings happened in New York. So David needed a guy here from there. We sort of bled into, uh, 
we represented Jameis Winston when a co uh, student at Florida State um, made allegations that he sexually assaulted her. And when we first started working with Jameis, you know, he had won the Heisman that year, and that was in New York. So it sort of just all like location became very uh, fortunate for me in this regard because David wasn't based here; he's based in Atlanta. So really, in a six-month span, I went from you know having 25 employment matters and running around every court in New York, in New York State and federal, it, all the New York uh, state courts and the federal courts here to leading me to the NFLPA, the MLBPA, a bunch of different spots around here and really learning how to, how the practice of law in the sports arena worked. Right. And, and I'm sure, again, that, that had to be, as a young lawyer, had to be just some terrific experience for you. Now, now you mentioned, oh, yeah. yep. you know, some of your other work that you were doing and, you know, um, how do you, how different do you find your corporate work from your sports work? And do you find some similarities, some things that help you in in one area or the other? Um, uh, because, you know, the sports world has its unique challenges, but I'm sure the corporate world does too. But how, how do you find those two areas? How, how different uh, are they? Any similarities that you find in the practice? Sure. I mean, at its core, you're an advocate for whoever you're representing, whether it's an athlete, a coach, um, or, you know, a Fortune 500 company. But there definitely are differences as well as, like I said, the similarities. I mean, the difference is when you're dealing with corporate clients, they're more used to this process. Litigation is just the cost of doing business. A lot of these companies have pretty uh, significant litigation uh, costs in their budgets year-round. So they're just used to this. A lot of the times it's easier for them to understand that there's a nuisance value to certain suits and they're willing to um, make a business decision when it comes to resolution. Whereas when you're dealing with athletes, while you still have a component of that, their reputation is their reputation's their product half the time. So you can't really resolve a case at the outset. It's more, more so they want to go the distance here because if they're alleged to have done something that they're saying they didn't do, they're going to fight to the death to sort of protect their name. And again, it's not as commonplace for an athlete to understand how the litigation process works. Um, so that, that's one, you know, that's one difference that I think you see. The other thing is when you're dealing with athletes in particular, you're really dealing with a heartbeat there and there's a more, a, more of an emotional component to the case as well. Um, and, you know, you're really going through, you're going through day to day with, uh, some of the worst things that these people are going through in their entire life. And you're really, again, one of their, you're their advocate and you're there every day to just sort of help them through the process. And I think we've talked about it before, more so when you're dealing with an individual, it's not just a lawyer, uh, a lawyer hat you wear, but it could be a, ther a therapy hat where you're just listening to them talk about the problems that they're having and why is this happening to them and how they could get out of this. And again, you learn, it really humanizes the process as athletes for me in particular when you start representing them. You know, Ben, on that last point, you are so right. Um, there have been times when I feel less like a lawyer and more like a counselor or a psychiatrist, psychologist <laughs> or, you know what I mean, where you just have to hear um, your client. You know, you just have to allow them, you know, to vent or to share or to, you know, bellyache, if you will, right? I mean, there are just yeah. times. 
right? Because you are so right that, you know, and maybe some of this stems from the pressure of being a high profile athlete um, and all the work it takes to get there and to stay there. And then if you're in a situation where part of your livelihood or all of it is at jeopardy, um, then it just brings tremendous pressure. And so there are times, yes, you have to be that legal advocate and, and, and represent them on the legal side. But then there are so many other times um, where you are wearing a different hat, where, you know, you, you have to be there for them to listen to them, hear them out. And, and so I, I, I really find it fascinating for you to say that because I don't know how many people realize that aspect of it. And sometimes it catches you by surprise because sometimes it just comes gushing out, right? Because the pressure just becomes so great. And so um, really interesting to hear you say that. No, and look, I think the only way to do this job, and I say this to all my clients when, I, uh, when they retain me, is you're getting 110% of me. It's mm-hmm. not, I don't need to do this doing 70%, 80%. You have to go the full distance and then some. So, you know, my clients first day, they get my cell phone and they could call me Saturday night at nine o'clock and be going through one of those spells where they really need to talk to somebody. And I'm going to answer the phone. Probably makes me a pretty mm-hmm. poor dinner date, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, it, look, it's like I said earlier, you have to really take this job comes with a lot of responsibility. And when you deal with, um, athletes in particular, and not just athletes, I mean, any one of your clients, and again, mm-hmm. you're, they right. are going through one of the worst periods of their life. And if you look at it through the prism of what if someone you really cared about uh, was hiring an attorney, how would you want that attorney to treat the person you care about? It would really change the way that you're acting. It will change the way of how you're going to act with your clients. Because look, if my parents, if they hired a lawyer and my parents were freaking out at seven o'clock on a Saturday night, I'd want that lawyer to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, I sort of taken that mindset. And again, this is piggybacking on sort of the mentorship that I had from David, that this is what you have to do if you want to be successful in this world, because you genuinely have to care about each and every one of your clients, because that's the only way that you're going to be an effective advocate um, for them. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, now, Ben, you and I have spoken in the past about, you know, one of the differences in you know, for example, what I know fairly well, and that is the MLBPA's arbitration processes. And, you know, I have, you know, voiced to you in the past some of the frustrations that I've experienced in in dealing with lawyers who are coming from the outside world, right? You know, civil litigators who mm-hmm. want to come in and take their positions and, you know, make the process more formal than it than it's designed to be because it is arbitration. Um, and you, you you joked with me then you said, well, you know, I got in the process so soon that I didn't really, I wasn't at that point yet. But have you found that? Do, do you have to fight that off too um, uh, as, as you deal with attorneys who perhaps aren't familiar with the arbitration processes in sports and trying to make it, you know, more formal civil litigation? Do you find yourself having to, to to fend some of the traditional weapons of civil civil litigation, fight those things off. Absolutely, and um, it's really funny, sort of at the outset when you get retained by some of these clients. Specifically, um, you know, one that really comes to mind: an aging client retained me uh, recently, and 
they were having some issues and they said, can you talk to, you know, my personal lawyer? And the personal lawyer gets on the phone and it's almost like, you know, this might be the smartest attorney I've ever spoken to. And he's, you know, throwing around uh, different case laws. This, you know, he read this case in the Southern District. We could really attack on this and that. And I just had to stop him. And I said, okay, that's all fun. You know, it's all great and good. And I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong, but it's inapplicable here. Because when you're dealing in a union setting and you're a labor lawyer, you and me both know what really governs is, you know, the controlling document, be it the CBA and uh, between labor and management in these leagues or also in MLBPA agent regulations or the governing documents. So, you know, in the end, it's you can have the most brilliant attorney that wants to work in, on these cases and they might have the best strategy possible. But again, they're playing a whole different sport when it comes to what we're doing under the agent regulations or any of these CBAs. Um, and also, yeah. sometimes it's pretty comical. I, I don't know if we were on this case together. I won't say the name, but, you know, I had an adversary that obviously didn't do too much of this type of work, and they're trying to notice 15 depositions, and they want to file <laughs> uh, interrogatories and right. this and that, right. and, you know, ready to take me into a courtroom. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's a different, um, it's a different set of rules, uh, what you and me deal with sometimes than the yeah. average lawyer faces. Right. And I will tell you that, you know, I have had the pleasure of going up against some of the, some, against lawyers from some of the largest firms in the country and, and prevailing in an, in an arbitration case. And not because I'm, I was smarter, brighter or anything else, but I just knew the process better and was able to work within that process a little bit more efficiently than, than they were because I was more familiar with it. And so, you know, that brings a little bit of satisfaction every time, you know, David can beat Goliath, you know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting. Absolutely. And uh, it's just circling back sort of what, to go back to the Herod case, I mean, we were working with some of the best law firms and, you know, we were going against some fantastic law firms that knew what they were doing. These were labor attorneys, but um Right away, the first thing I did after David sort of put me on the case was I had the MLBPA send me over every single drug case they had, and I just devoured all that orbital precedent and really learned the nuances and what the case law actually said. Um, because, again, that was sort of the world, that was a, the bubble that we were working in. And, you know, I could be the greatest legal researcher on Lexis.com, but it's not going to be the same as, you know, reading the 30 or so cases at the MLBPA and MLB rely upon in these types of cases. Right, right. You got to know the law of the shop for sure. Um, Now, uh, Ben, you also mentioned to me in one of the conversations that we had that as part of your corporate work, uh, it involves uh, Me Too work, right? Uh, Work dealing with helping I guess the way I would phrase it, and you you probably would do it more artfully, but helping companies and organizations, you know, maybe change the culture or, you know, just be more aware um, about sexual harassment and sexual misconduct issues and how to avoid them and and deal with them in the workplace. Um, Why don't you tell tell us a little bit about that and maybe more artfully explain what it is that you do and then I want to talk about some of the applications, perhaps to sports, uh, because we have had 
you know, a recent high profile case involving the Dallas Mavericks. But before getting to that, why don't you um, can you tell us a little bit about your Me Too work that you've done as part of your practice? Absolutely. And um, I, I don't know if it's what it's I don't know if Me Too is the best way to actually describe it, but. You know, half of my practice is generally employment litigation where, or employment advice and um, dealing with our corporate clients and, you know, implementing proper procedures, defending them in certain cases, doing workplace investigations, which sort of overlaps to what uh, Paul Weiss was doing in the Miami Dolphins case. And we've always been sort of cognizant of um, making sure that our clients have a safe workplace when uh, employees go there, not just women, but just you know, everyone in general. But of course, after the uh, Harvey Weinstein, Ronan Farrow article about a year and a half ago, there's been a real uptick in uh, laws evolving, especially in New York City, where the sexual harassment um, laws have been changing and, you know, really putting some obligations on employers to change the practices and make sure it's a safe environment for women going forward. Um, And again, that this sort of pushed a lot of our clients to look in the mirror and say, how do we fix this and not become the next uh, company that gets hit with a, uh, you know, Me Too controversy akin to sort of what happened to the Dallas Mavericks? Um, and again, this is sort of, this is the type of, this is part of my practice that sort of overlaps in a few different areas because that overlaps both in the sports world and just on the corporate side because it doesn't matter whether you're the, uh, Coca-Cola, or if you're the New York Jets, you're going to have to put uh, you're going to have to put things in place that protect your employees, make it a safe environment going forward, and that's what we've been doing quite a bit of over the last year and a half, I'd say. Hmm. And have you had the opportunity to do any of that type of work for any sports entities? So, I've had the opportunity to do that type of. Work. I've had a few clients that um, have been subject to some allegations uh, in the meet since the Me Too movement sort of really pushed forward, but uh, I'm not really at liberty to talk about which ones they are. And quite a sure. again, when it comes to you and me both know this, a lot of the times when you're dealing with athletes or entertainers, um, your biggest clients, no one knows you representing because that means you did a good job. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But we've advised um, quite a bit of, and there are a few companies that we've sort of just, again, there's confidentiality in place, but we've been uh, involved with sort of putting in, putting in certain uh, procedures in place. Yeah. And and it's so important because I think, you know, the situation with the map is so high profile and, you know, it's just a black eye for not only that organization, but the NBA and, and, um, and whether you're in or out of sports, you know, this, you know, having, you know, someone experienced like yourself and law firms like, like yours to help, examine and change practices where they need to be in order to create that safe work environment is just so important. So, um, you know, you know, you know what I often find sometimes Ben is that, you know, we work in sports and, you know, you work with high profile, um, athletes, high profile clients. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it's also good too, when you're able to do some other related work that maybe just, has a broader application, you know what I'm saying? And that, you know, um, allows you to 
So sort of have a, you know, your feet in both worlds, right? Working at that high level of sports or entertainment or wherever it is that you may be working, but then also just doing some things that are just right. You know what I'm saying? Um, that you can feel, you know, really good about the fact that you're trying to make, you know, some slice of the world better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And um, it sort of keeps you grounded and also really, it really helps just sort of seeing everyday people and the impact that you could have and just putting things in place to protect our corporate clients. And in turn, when we protect our corporate clients, we're really protecting the employees that work for them. So right. it's sort of very circular and um, it does make me feel good sometimes when we put something in that makes the workplace more safe. Right. Well, um, Ben, I want to go back to, you know, when you when you got your start working with, you know, with David Cornwell and you, you were a young lawyer at that point. And, you know, it, everyone has a different story of how they got into sports. Some people stumble into it. You know, others, um, you know, worked a long time to try to get into it. Others got into it rather quickly. Everyone has a different story. But. Um, and yours is an interesting one, which I think what hats off to you, first of all, for taking the initiative. But for for those who want to get into the sports world, um, law students who may be listening, uh, young lawyers who may be listening, what would be some of the things that you would offer to them to keep in mind or to perhaps to execute to try to make the dream happen? Yeah, I mean, I would just say you got to keep grinding and do the things that people aren't thinking of doing. So to the extent everybody says they want to be in sports law, um, I get quite a few emails from a lot of people and calls of people that want to just jump into this practice not really knowing what it is. Uh, you know, you learn really quickly when you handle these cases that it's not as glamorous as you probably perceived it to be. Um, so the things that I would do for you know, a law student that wants to break into this is you know, print out the CBAs. They're publicly available. Print out the grievance procedures. Find anything you can, any law review document, anything you could find that sort of gives you insight into how the system's actually set up. And you'd be surprised. There's not that many people that do that. So you can make yourself incredibly valuable to someone that's handling these types of cases just by reading the doc, reading the publicly available documents. Because mm. you and me both know it's, you know, sort of nuanced and Every time I have one of these cases, you're still pulling up, you know, I think it's Section 7 of the agent regulations that you're still going <laughs> right. through. You're like, wait a second, what's the statute? Right. Um, so be intellectually curious uh, would be one of my things that I would tell somebody uh, to have that mindset sort of is just really try to learn every little piece of it. Because if you want to be good at this, you can be, but you just have to really make an effort to do the hard work and, you know, read all this stuff and really understand it and follow the cases and reach out to people. Um, you know, when David wrote back to me, it was probably, I was probably shocked because I looked at David probably in a higher light than Alex Rodriguez. He was more famous than me in my mm. little world than Alex was. And you'd be surprised. People want to help you. Um, so, you know, feel free, shoot some emails out, call people, try to meet everybody and don't settle for, being average, it's so easy to be average. If this is what you want to do, keep chasing your dream and just learn as much as you can and break into it because it's not impossible. If I did it, you know, anybody else can. Sure. And, you know, as you were saying, um, you know, get get your hands on the CBA and, and take the time to read it and, and 
you know, whatever else is out there. I will tell you that when I, I started with the Players Association in November of 2000, and at the time, there was some bargaining going on, and, and you know, the more senior lawyers would go over to baseball, and I would be left in the office, you know, with no one around, no lawyers around. And I just took the time to, you know, to read the CBA, as you were saying. But I was also not that far removed from law school that um, that I had forgotten about outlining. You remember, you know, every yep. law student knows about that, right? You outline yeah, your cases. You just gave me nightmares. <laughs> right, right. In the law library at 2 a.m. trying to figure That's out what right. a corporation was. That's right. You outline, you know, you, you do your outline for your courses. Well, you know what I did? I actually started outlining the basic agreement. And that's how I became very familiar and well-versed with it. You know, I just put the time in, right? Um, I didn't sit there, you know, saying, well, no one's here. I'll wait till they get back. I utilized my time, outlined, didn't understand some things, but when Mike Weiner would come back or Bob Lenahan would come back, Gene Orr would come back, I would go and I would ask them about a provision that I didn't understand. And they would explain it. And then maybe they would point me to our precedent and then I would go pull the cases and so on. So it goes to what you're saying, right? You have to have a hunger to learn. And the information is there and people are there to help you, but they can't stoke your fire for you. You're going to have to do that yourself and really have that desire, as you said, not be average, right? But to, to get after it and really separate yourself. So when you said that, it just brought me back to when I started at the Players Association many years ago. Yeah, I, you know, David tells this story sometimes um, that we had an arbitration. And again, when I started out, like I said, I really didn't even know where the bathroom was, where, where we were working. So I knew honestly nothing. I was the definition of a baby lawyer. But what I knew mm-hmm. I could do was be available and, you know, sort of outwork everyone to just try to learn everything. So David tells this story. We had a case. Um, I think we had 600 exhibits in it, and we had this painstaking uh, direct examination of our client going through everything. And then on cross, um, you know, they tried to catch us in something, and I just told them, like, David, exhibit 391, just whip it out, Hmm. and David was able to use it. So I knew every single document in there, every page of 600 exhibits, not 600 pages, (laughs) you know, however many hundreds of exhibits we had, I knew each and every page. Right. So, and again, that was because at the time I knew that I wasn't going to be doing this fantastic opening statement or being able to do the direct examination or cross-examination. I knew that my best asset to the client and my best asset to David was that I needed to know every little thing about the case for when David needed something, he could just snap his finger and, you know, I'd be able to give it to him. Sure. And that's the way to do it. I mean, I wish there was more of a, a you know, a secret uh, sauce to tell people that are eager to get into this world. But honestly, it just comes down to reading and outworking everybody. That's right. You got to grind. You, you just have to grind. Don't tell anybody willing... a secret. They could just go on uh, MLB.com and read the CBA. And we're going to have a lot of competition, Jeff. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, uh, at least on the player side, you know, we get some good advocates and, you know, we have some interesting battles with those on, on the other side. So, it's all good. But, um, Ben, I really do appreciate the the time. Um, you know, I know um, 
you know, things are busy for you always. And um, it's good to catch up with you. And I look forward to staying in touch with you as we go forward. And I'm really happy for you, man. Yeah, and I say that in all sincerity. I'm really happy for you for the success that you're enjoying and, and um, you know, just wishing nothing but the best. So I, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, like I said, I look forward to staying in touch. It's Jeff, likewise. And, you know, I just want to let you know also, um, I really want to thank you because when I started out doing this, you know, it, could have, it would have been real easy for you to uh, just dismiss me as, you know, David's associate. But you always treated me with respect and um, treated me like I was a real part of the team. And you've been a fantastic friend over the last few years. I know we haven't worked on a case together, but I'm hoping we do at some point. Um, but, you know, I've always admired you, and I really appreciate getting to know you, and I value your friendship. And, you know, have a fantastic holiday season, and we got to catch up in person soon. Sure, no doubt. And I appreciate, I appreciate all that, Ben. I really do. And, and certainly, um, you know, we, 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 should, we should get together before the year ends. So let's plan on Cap doing too. that. Say that again? we got to bring Cap also. <laughs> He'll love that. He'll love that. So um, no doubt about it. So again, Ben, thanks for the time. And I do look forward to catching up with you sometime soon. Thanks so much, Jeff. Have a great night. Okay. All right. You too. I enjoyed our conversation with Ben Levine. He is clearly someone who is on the move in the sports industry. And if you listened closely, you can see why. He's smart, self-motivated, is a hard worker, and he's humble. That last characteristic is probably most important of all. Ben is a good man, and I believe he has a bright future ahead of him. If you enjoyed that interview, and if you're enjoying Sports 360, let us know. Subscribe, like, or share us. It's much appreciated. That's my time for this week. Scully just pulled up. And would you look at this? Three little birds by the back door of the car. (laughs) Three little birds. You don't know that song. But we'll help you out in a second. Until next time, be good. And we look forward to catching up with you again on another edition of Sports 360. Rise up this morning.